Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 331 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about the world of writing and publishing. I'm Valerie Koo, CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher series. How are you, Al? I'm okay. Did you say A.L. Tate or just L. Tate? I'm sure I said A.L. Tate, but maybe I said, maybe I am just <laughs> didn't have enough sleep. Because <laughs> it kind of run, runs into one, right? A.L. Tate, L. Tate, you know what I mean? Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, it's just good. I just thought after 330 episodes, maybe you decided to change things up a bit. <laughs> it's good to have a bit of variety, you know. I will henceforth be known as L. Tate. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, I'm fine, Valerie. That's good. <laughs> Having aimed for okay, I'm okay. That's all I can say. Um, what about you? How's your week been? I'm well, thank you. I'm well. Um, but uh, we're going to be more than fine when we host a block party, right? We're going to be like we're going to be perky. I'm aiming for perky that day. I'll be like yes. in my authorial blazer, and I will have my hair washed, and I will not be wearing your my hair slippers. Washed. So that would be. <laughs> I'm going to wash my hair for the occasion. I hope you guys are totally on board with my great sacrifice. Because I'll never wash his But you know what? I, no, don't, don't, but don't you freshly wash for big occasions, for big yes, events? Course, I do wash yes. my hair. But I like to, you know, it'll be, I'll, I'll be fresh. I'll be lovely. I'll be, I'll be looking good. Um, and speaking of looking good, I would very much like it if our, if everyone who, you know, joins our event would be willing to also dust off their own authorial blazers for the occasion. I feel like we need to make it an occasion. Or equivalent. Or equivalent, yeah. Like mm. Whatever your authorial – if you've only got an authorial scarf or an authorial beanie yeah. or whatever, like authorial yeah. T-shirts, also yeah. fine. You know, lots of, mm. lots of my um, – of my male author friends will have a very nice selection of authorial T-shirts. So mm -hmm. feel free to, you know, rock one of those. But um, I would really like you to share with us if you're planning your outfit in advance because, you know, it's an event. Let's, yeah. let's make it an event. Mm. If you are planning your outfit in advance, we'd very much like to see what you um, are planning to wear. Uh, so if you would like to share it with us in the podcast community, if you have a feather boa, of course, now would be the time. Yes. This is the moment. We've discussed authorial boas in the past and I yes. feel like if anybody is going to um, have an opportunity to wear one, I feel like our block party would be it. And, of course, it's on, when is it on? The 30th of May. Yes. At 11 a.m. Sydney time. In the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community group on Facebook. Yes. Valerie and I will be there for one hour. We will yep. be talking very fast and we will be answering <laughs> as many of your questions. We're going to be live, man. This is going to be yes. big. Um, we will be answering as many of your questions as we can. So, um, you know, get your bow out. That's all I can say. Yeah, absolutely. Saturday, the 30th of May at 11 a.m. So it's very exciting because mm. this is our replacement event, our online event that is in lieu of the fact that we were going to be having the big event at the Museum of Contemporary Art as part of the Vivid Festival, which, of course, um, is not possible now due to world events. Uh, but we're going to have a party with you anyway. So very exciting. We are. I just got to add that I needed to add the link. 
I'm going to put oh, a yes. link in the show notes to the event page, which will have all the details on it. Yes. And if you, I'm pretty sure if you say you're going, then that means you'll get a reminder the day before that it's on. So, you know, do that. Even if you say you're interested, you'll get a reminder. So just, yeah, you can tick that yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. And, and you'll get a reminder that it's about to start. Tick the box, people. Yeah. Somebody else who is um, having a party is, uh, well, uh, there's several of them, are all of the winners of the um, a- ABIA Awards, um, you know, the Book of the Year. Arbias. We call them the Arbias or the Abias. Yes, yes. Um, and they, uh, Bluey, Bluey won the Book of the Year. Uh, because Bluey is everywhere right now. But uh, Andy Griffiths, who, of course, we've had on the podcast before, won the Book of the Year for Younger Children. And, of course, he is uh, mm-hmm. the author, along with the illustrator, Terry Denton, of the Treehouse books. And we had a chat to him in the wake of the announcement, and he gave us his three tips on um, uh, on making kids laugh because he's certainly done that very successfully over the years. He's been going since the 90s, I think, and he's still going strong. Oh, he has. And oh. that tree, that Treehouse series turns up on that list every year, mm. every single mm. year. Like it's there because it's a huge seller and it's uh, kids love them. Uh, any kid who is a reluctant reader should be immediately handed the 13-storey Treehouse and set off on a on a great adventure into reading with um, the fantastic illustrations yeah. by Terry Denton. And, of course, you know, if you haven't listened to our podcast interview with Andy, which we did like right back in the early days, he was mm. brilliant, like supporting us when we were first starting out. Yeah. Um, it's a terrific interview. It's a yeah. really good interview because he produces these incredibly, like incredibly zany, you know, nonsensical books. But he's a very serious man and it's a very serious process and his process is really worth having a listen to. So um, if you haven't, you know, if you've bypassed that one because you're not writing for children or whatever, uh, go back and have a listen to it because it's really worth having a, having a listen. Yeah, definitely. And if he's up to the 117th story treehouse. So it's been a successful series, certainly. And um, he also says that, uh, you know, you you got to re- revel in the absurdity. Um, he says that kids appreciate incongruous humour, where you place things that aren't meant to be put together. They love the playful aspect of it. And the way the pictures and the text play with words and ideas is very much what any child is doing in order to make sense of language and make sense of the world. So um, he also emphasises that the Treehouse series was a result of 20 years of research and development into their audience. So it's not just um, a bunch of random ideas that he he and Terry did come up with. There's a lot of thought that goes into these these books and, and in making them funny as well. So we'll put the link in the show notes, which of course you can find at soyouwanttobeariter.com. .au. It's on the uh, Australian Writers' Centre blog. Um, another thing that we want to bring to your attention is the Historical Novel Prize. The um, Historical Novel Society uh, of Australasia's website will have all of the details. We'll put the link in the show notes as well. But the ARA Historical Novel Prize is open to authors who are citizens or residents of Australia and New Zealand. And... Um, yeah, get onto it because you could win. Well, there's oh, thirty thousand dollars, I think. Yes, thirty thousand dollars is up for for um 
for grabs. It's open to books published between the 1st of January 2019 and 30th of June 2020. Those, um, if your book has come out within that window, then and it's historical fiction, obviously, then it's eligible for entry. Entries can be submitted by authors, publishers, or agents. Self-published books are also eligible, which makes it unusual because a lot of these prizes um, are unfortunately closed to, to indie published books, but this one is open. Um, it also has a fairly broad definition of historical fiction. Basically, anything set more than 50 years ago um, or a novel written by someone who was not alive at the time of those events. And, um, you know, if yours is a vampire hunting mystery novel set in mm. ancient Rome, then it is classified as an historical sub subgenre. <laughs> historical <laughs> subgenre. Were you trying to put a French accent with that? <laughs> I don't know what I was trying to do there. I was, I was, I was thinking I was bringing it out as a word of the week just to see if anyone noticed. Um, uh, alternate history, pseudo histories, time slip novels. Like, there's all. It's a really broad definition. So have a look at it if if you're you've got a thought that your book might fall into any of those categories. Um, closing date for entries is the 30th of June 2020, and uh, a shortlist will be announced in October with the winner announced in November 2020. So my book is just going to miss out, disappointingly, but maybe next time. Oh, okay. All right. So. Um, We've got some exciting news because we're currently developing a teenage creative writers program for budding authors and it's going to be available very soon. I'm going through it right now. It is so good. It's a 10-week course designed for keen young writers to help them unleash their creativity and improve their storytelling skills and they get their own mentor. So if this sounds perfect for a teen you know, check out the course page and register your interest to be notified as soon as it's open for bookings because we know that this will sell out. So go to writercenter.com.au slash teens. That's writercenter.com.au slash teens. All right, we have a competition this week. Now, we've mentioned James Phelps before. Uh, he's the author of Australian Codebreakers. I recently did a Facebook Live with him, which you can find in the uh, podcast community on Facebook. And by the way, if you haven't joined yet, do join us. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. It's great to have you in there. So this book, it's the extraordinary story of a headmaster turned cryptographer and our top secret war with the Kaiser's Reich. On 1 August 1914, just days after war had been declared, Australian Captain J.T. Richardson boarded a German merchant vessel fleeing Melbourne's Port Phillip and audaciously seized a top-secret naval codebook. The fledgling Australian Navy had an opportunity to immediately change the course of the war. But what exactly had they found? Enter the Australian Codebreakers. This is the untold story of how a former Australian headmaster and his mostly female team cracked one of Germany's most complex codes, paving the way for the greatest Allied naval victory of World War I. So entries close the 25th of May. Just go to writercentre.com.au slash win and follow the instructions. That's writercentre.com.au slash win. That sounds really great. 
What does exactly? I want that. I, I, I want the book. I mean, I know we've talked about it before, but I don't think we'd actually discussed the details of what the book was about before. And now I want the book, but okay. I can't enter the competition. So that's no. very disappointing. Um, <laughs> but it reminds me of, well, it reminds me of Enigma. And, you know, like there's been yes. so much publicity around the code breakers in the UK. Mm. And, you know, we've got a little Australian headmaster and he's mostly female team doing it here as well. I know. I'm going to have to read it. Can I have yes. your copy? We send you it can. to You can. I will. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say that. <laughs> All right. Now, Al, oh, but only if I, okay, I will Wait. send you your my copy um, if I get some enthusiasm for my next question. Oh, my God. <laughs> See, nothing's for free anymore, is it? You can't get anything. There's a price to be paid for everything you want in life. All right, I'm ready. Okay, I'm psyching myself up. Are you ready for the word of the week? Oh, my God, I'm so excited. I can't (laughs) wait. Let's have a parade immediately. Excellent. How was that? Do I get the book? (laughs) Excellent. Yeah, okay. So epistemology. See how she's bribing me? See how she's bribing me for this? (laughs) All right. Epistemology. 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 Yeah. Do you know what it is? All right. Mm-hmm. Do you know? No, but it's, it sounds very close to episiotomy, which is something that I'm sure there's Ooh. lots of people out there <laughs> crossing their legs right now. So yes. No. Tell me what it is. Epistemology. Okay. This word sounds a bit like it could have something to do with letters, you know, like epistles, like the epistles of Paul and mm-hmm. stuff. But it actually refers mm. to the branch of philosophy which deals with the origin, nature, methods and limits of human knowledge. It comes from the Greek epitome, knowledge, and logos, study of, epistemology. Uh-huh. Cool, huh? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, do I need to be enthusiastic at this end as well? Or... Yes. <laughs> oh, God, that was ma- amazing, Val. Like, I, my life is changed forevermore for knowing right. that. Um, who's our writer in residence this week, Al? Oh, now this I am excited about. Oh, so okay. this week, I know. I just like look, there, that was genuine enthusiasm there. Yeah, um, I had the opportunity to have a good chat to um, Felicity Harley. Now, Felicity Harley and I um, go back many, many, many years to Clio because you know, didn't everyone in the world meet at Clio at some point or another? Yeah. Um, she's amazing. She has been uh, one of Australia's top magazine editors for many, many years. She has written her first book. She's part of our debut author series um, and she's written a new book and we had a great chat and I think that um, our listeners will really enjoy this one because not only did we talk about the book which is a non-fiction book so we talked about the writing of the non-fiction book but in her role as the editor of women.com.au she um, still oversees a whole lot of uh, content and so we discussed pitching and we talked about what editors look for and we talked about a whole range of things so this one um if you have got you know interest in or are working as a freelance writer uh this one will be really useful for you as well Felicity Harley has been a journalist for Australia's leading women's publications for two decades, including a nine-year stint as founding editor of Women's Health. She launched and is currently editor-at-large of women.com.au. She has appeared weekly on Sunrise for 10 years, has hosted TV shows and events, and is a speaker on her favourite topic, health and well-being. Felicity was named one of Australia's most 
100 Women of Influence for her brainchild, the I Support Women in Sport campaign. Her first book, Balance and Other BS, is out now with Alan and Unwin. Welcome to the program, Felicity. Thanks, Alison. <laughs> Are you still with me? It was a bit of a long intro, wasn't it? I should also yep. disclose to our <laughs> listeners that Felicity and I know each other quite well because we worked together about 7,000 years ago when she was only four and I was 21. Um, and I'm joking. And <laughs> so we uh, there is a familiarity here that, that may lead to, you know, friendly chat. Anyway, Let's talk about Felicity. You have been a writer for a very long time. Why have you written your first book now? Oh, that, that does make us sound so old, doesn't it? A oh, very no. long time. We're not that old, are we? No, no we're not. But, no. you know, when I say you've been a journalist for two decades, it just sounds like that we've been true. around forever, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, so I was a journalist. Um, we worked together many years ago at, at Clio magazine. Yes. Um, and I suppose, I yes, I... I'm a journalist at heart. I, I love delivering stories and interviewing people, and and but then, um, yeah, I just felt like I wanted to perhaps. I'd, I'd obviously worked for magazines and then went into digital. So went from writing 2,000 word features to writing quick 600 word stories, and really felt like I wanted to stick my teeth into something with a lot more words. Probably okay. 75,000, in fact. So, um, yeah, it probably took me two decades to get it done. So what was, the, what was the catalyst for this subject matter? Like, why balance and other BS? Like, why, why having, you know, like, worked in all those other areas of writing for so many years, did you decide that this was the book you wanted to be, you know, your first book? Um, no, I didn't go out there and think, oh, you know, I want to write about... Um, about balance and, and how and overwhelm and, and women. And I suppose I've always had a passion for women and um, delivering information um, to women and I, and particularly health and, and wellbeing. That's the thing I'm really passionate about and into. Um, the, I, this, this book was actually it was, it was quite serendipitous in many ways. Um, I wrote, so I'm editor-at-large of a website called women.com.au and um, I wrote an article, it was nearly a year ago, um, called Balance and Other... Oh, sorry, what was the actual part? It was called um, Balance is BS and Why Modern Women Have Been Sold a Lie. Yeah. And that came... That article just came across... It came out of the fact that I just felt at that particular time I'd just been talking to so many women who were overwhelmed, stressed. So my friends, workmates, mums at the school gate, um, barista... You know, everyone, I, I just felt like there was this pressure cooker, um, and particularly women with kids, but also women without kids. Um, there was a pressure cooker for women, say, 25 to 50, um, that we're all living in. And I just thought, gosh, there's something in this. So I wrote this article, and it went bananas. It was actually had phenomenal amount of clicks, um, so page impressions. I had never written anything that has had so much feedback. Like I, when I go on Sunrise every week and Koshi read it and um, the host and he said to me when I came on that week, are you okay? I read your article. Are you, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. Like, so me <laughs> all these people were worried because, you know, I was quite personal in the article about whether I was coping or not because um, I myself have three small kids. 
Um, so it, yeah, so I, that kind of snowballed. Um, I, I, because that went so crazy, I thought there's a lot in this. There's something in this subject matter that women, um, that I feel not just me, but women all around Australia are really feeling this. So I suppose it was capturing that feeling and putting it into words. Um, and then it kind of went off from there. All right. So you wrote the article and there was obviously there's a big, you know, the, you immediately think, yeah, there's definitely something in this. So where did you start with a book once you had that idea? Because, you know, it's a big jump from women are struggling with the mental, physical, you know, emotional load um, to I'm going to write 75,000 words about this. <laughs> Just quietly. Um, <laughs> yeah. That is true. Well, I, I, I just felt that it was such a, an issue, that it was such a big issue that we, there, there could be 75,000 words, you know, that I'd spoken to enough women that, you know, women were just spilling the words out of their mouth when I spoke to them. Um, so, I, look, how it happened, from the, how I got the actual deal. Um, so my husband um, played Aussie Rules AFL and he wrote a book when he first retired and he worked with someone at Penguin and he just happened to run into... Um, her name's Andrea McNamara in the airport and then the conversation just flowed that I'd love to write a book and so I'd been working with her a bit Um, Mm. okay you know what what sort of ideas what would make a book for me what do I believe in what am I passionate about Um, what do I think other people would want to buy and Mm. read I think that's that was the thing you know I mean I suppose working on magazines for, you know, running women's health for nine years, I know what words and what trigger points and what women, you know, appeals to women and, and what advice we need. And and so I've been working with her. But anyway, this article, and I sent her this article and I said, I think this could, there could be something in this. I think I could write a book about this. So she sent back to me. She said, well, go away. Go and think about this for a couple of weeks. Um, just immerse yourself in it, go and read. I mean, my book is has got research in it, it's got expert advice, you know, that is kind of what I believe in. I don't want to sell, um, I suppose because I am a journalist, I'm not an expert, so I like to back up what I say with expertise, yeah. um, especially in the health and wellbeing space. Um, so she said, go away, think about it um, and come back to me with how it would look. So what, you know, whether you could actually do a book out of the 600-word article. So I, that's when I went away and I, then I went back to those friends and I talked to my friends, um, close friends. I talked to mums at the school gate again. I talked to my workmates and, and, you know, workmates, 30-year-old women, 25-year-old women who are struggling with, you know, not kids but struggling with decisions they have to make around career, fertility. I mean, they're, they're overwhelmed with different different things in their life as I am at 40-something with three kids. And I went, at, you know, if literally every woman I came across, I'm like, how are you feeling? Do you feel like life's getting away? You know, we just had a good chat and honestly the floodgates just opened. So, so I suppose I got a real sense. Sorry? No, keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt. Okay. I thought you were having a natural pause and I was just going to jump in with a, you know, stimulating question. But if you've got more to say about that, then I won't No, no, you. no, no, no. I love stimulating. <laughs> I, I would just jump in because I could keep talking forever. 
<laughs> so what I what I was going to say was like when I um, wrote my two nonfiction books, like I approached them in a funny way because of my background in magazines and my background in features writing. I kind of like laid out in my head, okay, I've got 60,000 words. I essentially need to do X number of chapters. And each of those chapters, they became like a, obviously like a build on from the other chapters, but was almost like breaking it down into 12, 5,000 word features in a funny way um, in an attempt and then not trying to like obviously, you know, um, repeat myself over and over again. Is that what you did when you were sort of like laying out what this book might be? Were you think, did, were you, I, I guess what I'm trying to ask here is I found it difficult when I first started writing nonfiction because it was the first thing I wrote after, you know, and in the midst of all of my freelance writing, I found it difficult in a way to break away from that, okay, this is a 5,000-word feature, this is a 5,000-word feature, this is like the narrative arc of the nonfiction book came after I had done that to a degree. Is that what you did, I guess, is my question. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what you did, isn't it? I did exactly the same. I did exactly what the um, Andrea, who um, the editor I was working with, she's like, okay, so I, I, I presented her seven chapters of 10,000 word, words each with seven different headings, um, <laughs> exactly the same as you, thinking, okay, it's 10,000 words. Okay, so that is how many, how many stories would that take? How many days would it take me to write those stories? How much time will I need? <laughs> exactly the same. Okay. <laughs> And then she came, and then I wrote a synopsis of each each chapter of how I'd, you know, the overall I wrote the overall vision. You know, where would the the story fit in? How would I see it? Um, now I went back to her with you know four page documents of, okay, this is chapter one, this is chapter two, and this is, and then I, and I also had things that I want to do a box here, and then I want to do another interview here, and I want to do this. And she came back to me. She said, "It's like you've sold me ten magazines in one." <laughs> Um, she's like this is great content for 10 magazines go back and think about it in the whole like how it comes together how you you tie it all together and and what's the message that runs through it all and and um and then I also had lots of magazine type the things that you see in magazines so pull quotes breakout boxes little fat boxes interviews and she said no get rid of all that put that right. into the actual feel into of the, the story yeah so yeah so I suppose yes I came with it with that magazine mindset I mean and I still through my book I still have feature interviews that I, I pulled out because I just wanted those more as a highlight rather than running through the text yeah um but yes yeah, so I put that together we put that um, overview of the book, and then we approached Alan Nunwin. Um, okay. So, what with, was the biggest challenge for you document. then in in writing the book? Like, you know, we've just discussed that the long form work like this differs from writing a series of articles or other content of which you've written thousands, and which you could probably have just, you know, like gone to your natural routine, done a thousand words an hour, or whatever it is that you do when you're writing a feature article like that. What was the biggest challenge for you in writing Balance and Other BS? Look, I think at the, I mean, the biggest challenge was I had a really short time. So I think it was October was when Alan Unwin said, yep, we want to go ahead with this book, but we want it out as soon as possible because we want to tap into the 
to the feeling right this moment. Um, And I think that that is one thing that I probably didn't appreciate. I suppose writing for a magazine or online, you can do it immediately and it's out there. But, you know, as we all know now with coronavirus, a lot can change in in six months. So um, they said, okay, we want to release it next April. So you've got three months to deliver it. So I think the biggest challenge to me was I was absolutely overwhelmed in the beginning. I was like, okay, now I said I want to do this and I've got to produce 7,000 words and I wanted to, I had a list of lots of, I mean, there's celebrities and high-profile people in the book. I had this massive list of all these people I wanted to interview. Um, so I just had to divide my, I really divided my week down and thought, right, this week I need to get to 20,000 words this week, 30,000, 40,000, um, I suppose working in as a journalist you you used to deadlines but um the biggest change was i just wanted to include so much information in there and so many interviews with people and i just didn't have the time so i just had to get really strict with myself and and just slice like i'd contact lots of people i'm like oh sorry i can't interview now because i just didn't have time and once you interview people and you have to transcribe them and yeah. So the I'm biggest... just thinking about this. So you're yeah, talking, so, so October 2019, you got the deal and the books yeah. come out in April yeah. 2020. And so you had, and I had to three months in October, yeah. November, December, worst possible time ever to be doing anything like this, to <laughs> interview all of these people, transcribe, work out what you wanted to use, write the actual thing and then get it to them in January. Is that correct? That is correct. I had to deliver it on to Janu- on January six, and then my parents were caught up in the bushfires because they live in Lake Conjola, which is not far from Newell, no. um, down in New South Wales, South Coast. So, yeah, I mean, I just in, it was just epic, and to be, and that's I think, and probably one of my biggest learnings in the book was done is better than perfect. If you get something done. I mean, I don't think my book's perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I would have loved to have another year. It would be amazing. I'd love to have another couple of months, but I might have not got it done. So I've done it. I've written a book, and it's not perfect, but at least it's done. So I think that became my my mantra through writing. Um, I'm I'm astonished that you managed to produce it because I'm also thinking about the fact that you have three small kids, a marriage, you know, where you might actually want to speak to your husband occasionally, um, as well as um, did you take a sabbatical or something from your job to do this? Or were you working yes, as well? Yes, I did, yes. Oh, well, I no, I, so yes, I, to give you some context, I cut, so I, because I'm part-time, I cut back a bit on my job and they were, they were so I'd have to deliver a certain amount of stories a week and so I just went to them and said, I want to write a book. Can I take, so basically I got, two days a week to work on the book so that's kind of how it happened um and then also I just spent every weekend and I worked till midnight put the kids down and I just had to get it done so I put life aside I suppose I just parked life and said to all my friends I'll see you in a couple of months um I also did (laughs) yeah I didn't really speak to anyone um I also over Christmas um Tom, my husband, we went to Adelaide for Christmas and I came back early. So I think I wrote about 35,000 words in about five days. Oh, um, because I just, I just t- had to get I'm it done. I'm so, just thinking about that. 
<laughs> oh, I am tired. I am exhausted now. <laughs> you know, the other thing that really surprises about me is I didn't know book publishing could actually move that quickly. I'm astonished because one of the things that is a hallmark of book publishing is, you know, the glacial pace at which things move. Um, so were you surprised by how quickly they managed to, you know, get the book in, edit the book, well, and, and then, you know, get it out as a finished product? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I suppose I'd never had experience with book publishers. So, and working in magazines, I mean, I thought that was quite slow. You know, like, yeah, it, I, I suppose. I, yeah, no, not for book publishing. The thing that astonished I, I, me when I moved from magazines to books was how incredibly slow it was. Because I was like, but I've written my 10,000 words this week. What do you mean? <laughs> you can't bring it out until April 2021. <laughs> So, oh, yeah, I, I found um, that change of pace well, really actually, hard. We were, we were on pretty strict deadlines. Like I it had, um, I mean, Andrea, I edited it and then I had two more edits and then they gave it, to, you know, they gave the manuscript back to me to read and I had strict, like I had to turn it around within a week. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty stressful at certain times. I won't lie. No. And um, my kids ate a lot of um, Uber Eats and... <laughs> So it's also, it's quite a personal book. Like I know you're talking about to a lot of experts and, and, you know, but like it, you're, you're very honest about the fact that, um, about the, well, a couple of different things about the fact that your experience is not everyone's experience. And so, you know, you're bringing in other people's experiences, but you're also honest about your experience, about what your day looks like and about how, you know, incredibly crazy it can all be. Um, you're talking about not just you, your friends, your family, your husband, you know, like I know that you're used to sharing various aspects of your stories in features work because it is what part of what makes that women's magazine sort of voice that is often, you know, is, is you bring in your experience and then you make it universal. Um, but this is a deeper level. So did you find that difficult, like pushing through the vulnerability of actually making the book as honest as possible? How much did, how did you decide um, what was an overshare and what wasn't? Yeah, yeah. Um, I probably uh, use my husband as a bit of a regulator on that. <laughs> like, he, um, I was like, maybe I should say this. No, okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think, you know, one of the most important things for me that I've learned through magazines and obviously writing books is to get your tone. You know, what is your own personal tone and, and how do you... Yeah, and that's taken me a while to, to work out. Um, and I write like I'm talking to my mates. I say to myself, write like you're talking to your mates at the pub. That's just how I write. And I suppose that's where the connection comes. And I've had some lovely feedback already about a lot of, some, a lot of people that they can really connect. And I mm. suppose with connection comes personal stories. And, and for me, I probably didn't think twice. It just I just wrote like I was talking to my mate at the pub and... And so, yes, it's probably not until now that I'm thinking, oh, maybe I shared too much. I don't know. But I, I, maybe that's where I just felt with readers. I want people to feel like we're all in, you know, women are struggling with this around Australia. And, and it looks different for me. Overwhelm looks different to everyone, whether you're a single mom or whether you're in a same-sex relationship. Or, And I think that's, yeah, and, and I think you do have to, because of the nature of the subject, you do have to give a bit of yourself and be vulnerable and, and because I talk a lot about we're sold this lie that every, 
I suppose, some lies on social media that everything's perfect, that you have to show that you're not perfect either. And, and, but it wasn't a struggle. It just kind of came. It's just how I am, my nature, I suppose. All right. Well, having having done that and having put that out there, and then you know probably experiencing the night before publication jitters that every single author of any kind has, you're also on social media and online a lot. You know, due to your work and the various things that you do. So you have also seen the online reactions that can occur when you're right, particularly when you're writing about yep. feminism and feminist issues, which you know this book does address. Were you concerned about that? Because it's the kind of thing that does stop people um, talking. It stops yes. people writing. So I'm interested to know whether or not you ever had a moment of, yes. do I really want to put this out there? Yep, yep, definitely. And I've seen the flip side. I mean, I've never experienced a social media pylon. I mean, I interviewed Yumi Steins in the book and she's had a what yep. she calls a few social media pylons. And it was great. Like, we, you know, she talks a lot about how she deals with that and how she separates herself from from those comments and how one comment can stick in you and, you know, can be, can just pop up into your mind all the time. Um, I suppose I, yes, I was a bit nervous. I was nervous that, especially with, that you get a lot of, that I would have some anti-feminists jumping on, jumping on me and, and I still am, I still might. Um, mm. I probably make a rule, like I have written a few things. I wrote something, I can't even, about something a little while ago and I just, do not go on social media and read the comments. I just make a rule. I do not go on Facebook and look at my stories. Yeah. Um, so the stories that I write that I know might be open to people piling on. Yeah. Um, there's no point. There's no point. I mean, why would you put yourself through that reading people's comments? But, yeah, I mean, I have got some comments here and there throughout my career that are definitely hurt hurt, and you and you remember them and you think about them occasionally and, but I suppose you just have to, okay, I feel that feeling. I don't know that person. I'm not going to waste my time thinking about that. Just move on in the direction that I that I believe in. Yeah. So what are some of the things, I mean, obviously you would have had a, what you thought you were going to do to promote your book would probably looks very different to what is actually happening, given to the fact that we're all stuck in our houses. Um, so what are some of the things you're doing to promote the book? How are you kind of, um, how have you, pivoted I hate that word but how have you pivoted to being able to talk about your book despite the fact you can't go and talk about your book yes oh look I, I mean we were talking before I had a very sad moment I walked I was up the street um and walked outside our walked past our local bookshop which I'm in all the time and and um I you know I, I just I'd always been dreaming for a day to walk in there and see my book and I walked past and I got really sad and I thought, I can't walk in there and see my book. And mm. I can't have that moment where I'm just like, I did it, I bloody did it. But um, so I think that was a bit of a sad moment. But anyway, I've, you know, I've written a book and I just have to focus on the positives. But I, su- I suppose in, I mean, just social media, really, we, um, I may, you know, Alan Unwin has been great. Like we, we've been talking a lot over the last couple of weeks before it launched okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to change it? Um, I've just been flooding social media every day with lots of posts about, you know, who's reading it. We send a lot of copies to, you know, people that I've worked with over the years, people that I know would maybe post it um, or people that it would resonate with. Um, I've also been pitching myself at all the different publications that I work for um, 
either extracts or things that I can write around the topic. So I've pivoted my um, writing over the couple, the last couple of weeks yeah. in um, women and I wrote for Body and Soul and a few other things and just made it more about um, my book, um, yeah. the subject matter around my book. So, um, But yes, I'm still um, doing an Instagram live series on Thursday nights with different people, um, interviewing different people who appear in my book. So that, um, that will start. So I just... It's, it's really tough. Like, it's tough not being, you know, we were going to visit Melbourne and Sydney, uh, Sydney and um, Brisbane and, and I'm, yeah, we're not doing that now. So that, I'm sad about that, but I still have to get into people's hands and I'm just stalking Booktopia every morning to see, okay, is it trending? Where is it? And, um, <laughs> I have to say, though, I, I, I do feel like, it, A, it's nonfiction, which um, allows you, and it's something that I think is a huge... Um, bonus for non-fiction authors, particularly authors who have a media background, because you understand the value of the angle and you understand the value of how to pitch the angle to different um, different markets. And I think that, you know, you're, at, you know, as you say, you're writing different stories for different publications. You're thinking about different ways to, to put your message out there. And it, you don't even understand how much of a skill set that is until something like this happens. And you need to be able to talk to different people about, you know, different aspects of the same subject um so you know i guess how do you uh, as a as a journalist are you looking at your book and going okay what can i write for different publications about this subject yeah definitely yes so i went through last week i spent the whole of last week going okay so who can i pitch to and what can i either take out of my book or um, what's the subject matter? I mean, I, I think if you're really clear about your subject matter and what you can bring to the conversation, um, and obviously that is your book, then you know how to kind of spin it to different publications. So, for example, um, Body and Soul, I thought, right, so they're not really interested in feminism, but they might be interested in, you know, I love a lot of, a lot of health and wellbeing content. So how am I going to use um, coronavirus and my book and bring them together? So. Yeah. I've been pitching um, so body and soul or mental health style articles um, to radio stations. We've yeah. pitched a lot of, um, okay, how to deal with work-life balance at home, how to deal with homeschooling, how to um, deal with, you know, not freaking out when the kids are running around when you're trying to do podcasts, which I can hear one of my kids running down the stairs right now. <laughs> um, so I suppose... A cameo. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, it's um, yeah, so I suppose we are tapping into what we're all feeling right now um, with COVID and using bits of my book to, to um, sorry, just asking now for a cookie. Yes, see, the, the juggle is real, right? <laughs> well, this um, is keeping it real. <laughs> I know, I know. So, so yes, yeah, so I've been doing a few radio interviews about tips from, for homeschooling and, and doing your work. And, and so it's just about tapping into the mindset of the time and what people might be feeling. I mean, that, you're right, that's harder with, with fiction but um, and how you can use certain nuggets of wisdom, I suppose, from my book and make it applicable to what's happening right now. Okay. So over the years, you've worked in print and online media and you've made the transition really well to online media, which not all journalists have actually managed. What do you think is the key to a successful journalism career today? 
Oh, that's a good. Oh, that's a good. Good question. Yeah, sorry. Hard to answer. Just, I think. No. <laughs> I think you just have to be adaptable. I think, um, like for me, I uh, find your niche and be adaptable. If that makes sense, I think. Yeah. You know, my passion is health and well-being. I mean, we worked at Clio, which was a broader women's um, title. And but if you can kind of dare I say pivot again, um, and find your you know whether your niche whether you might be interested in finance or I feel like in many ways journalism is getting um, well. You can um, what's the word? You can actually. You know, if, if you're into health and well-being or if you're into cars or whatever your passion, you can actually, you know, find a career in that space. So I think you need to be open, adaptable and even back. And also just, you know, it's not just, as a journalist, you don't just write anymore. No. You know, back in the day when we were um, at Clio, we were just like, okay, your job is a features writer. I write features. Okay, so features writers today, it's not just about writing a feature, it's also about uploading the content, taking a video for social media and doing editing and, and building the stories. I mean, I think you just have to be adaptable and, and willing to do, you know, whatever's thrown at you really. Yeah. Um, and that's probably been, you know, I love magazines. I, I would have loved to continue a career in magazines, but, you know, I knew that magazines weren't going to be there forever. Well, they will be, but in a different format. And so I really... So I thought, okay, I want to give digital a go and I actually really enjoy it. So just trying something new, being open, um, that's probably how I think as a journalist you get the longevity there for your career. Yeah, okay. Um, So as an editor of many years standing in print and online, you have seen thousands and thousands of pictures. Um, So I'm just interested for our, (laughs) you know, freelance writers or aspiring freelance writers out there, what makes you commission a story? Well, I think, yes, I've had many pictures. Um, what I've had, I think you really need to keep in mind the audience of the publication you're pitching at. Yeah. We, say women, get so many pictures that are just so not relevant to what we are and I think, or they've got a pitch that they're pitched to 10 other titles and that could be everything from the Fin Review to, you know, Kids and Travel Magazine and to Women and you wouldn't pitch the same thing to um, to every title. So you have to make sure you think of the audience that you're pitching at mm. and what might be relevant. Um, now, that it takes time to pitch. Like, I mean, I've just sat there last week and done a, a lot of pitches to, for, about my book and it, it took me a lot of time and that time... In, in, won't necessarily get a commission out of that. So I appreciate that it is time-consuming and you don't make money from that. Um, but I think it's really important to know who you're pitching to and know the audience and and really... And even if you don't read that publication or click on that um, brand every day, at least spend a bit of time looking at the, you know, say you're pitching to Body and Soul, for example, or The Fin Review, Um just read it, get your head in that space. Okay, what would they what would they take? What you know, what sort of things would they actually do in house? I get pitched a lot of stories, say women, that we would write in house. Right. Um, so they're just quite generic stories. Right. So I think so it's a story that we would commission just has that extra 
dare I say, sparkle or the difference or it just has a, as a, a different slant or a uniqueness about it rather than just what you'd what I'd see every what we we could commission in house because you know budgets are shrinking so you only really commission something that's going to add value to what you can't produce in house. Does that so, really answer that question? Yeah, no, no, it does. It absolutely does. And I think it's a really interesting point to make too where you talked about, you know, you, you might get the same pitch that's been sent to 10 different publications. You can pitch the same subject to 10 different publications, but the angle, the topic of your actual thing, your article has to be different for every single one of those publications bearing that audience yeah. in mind. Just yeah, that, and, that, and I think also the headline, if you can catch someone with your headline that you – you send and often just put that in the subject line yeah. um, rather than and, – and short and sweet because you've got at least, um, you know, our commissioning editor at Women, um, she gets hundreds a week. So mm. if, you, if your email is short, sweet, straight to the point with a really eye-catching subject line or headline, that is going to – your email will get looked at over all the others. Okay. So if you were starting out as a freelance writer today – Pitching is, is one skill that you would definitely concentrate on. Are there any others that you would add to that mix? Um, I think if, I think it's I think you've you've just got to get stuff in print. So rather than perhaps trying for the big brands, might be worth just getting a few of the smaller, you know, publications or at least getting some things up online. Because if I if I get a pitch and I've got the actual pitch story and then oh and by the way here's a bit of my work that I've written um, then I can see exactly what your tone is your style and whether it will fit with what we do yeah um, so I think the most important thing is just get something at print it doesn't have to be Sydney Morning Herald or you know Women's Weekly or whatever it's just at least on a you know on a blog or something or on a smaller website and at least you've got something in print and then that person can see what your style and, and whether you're suited to writing for that publication. All right. So um, what is next for Felicity Harley? Obviously, you're going to be very busy uh, promoting balance and other BS. Um, but, you know, what's on the agenda? Is it going to be more books? Is it going to be another million and seven articles? What's the plan? Good question. <laughs> sleep first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sleep. What is that? I'm going to just sleep. Yes, yeah, sleep. But... Um, I don't know, Al. I'm just kind of, you know, I've really enjoyed writing. I'd love, yeah, I would love to do another book. I've really enjoyed writing this one. The whole process that goes into it. I'd like a bit more time next time. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I'm just gonna just kind of take a break, a breather, and I mean, still, obviously, I'm still running for women, and just yeah, see where where it leads me. I, I think everyone's a bit up in the air at the moment with what life will what our new normals will look like afterwards. Yeah. Um, but I have enjoyed, enjoyed. I, I feel like I've done every form of writing in some ways from, you know, the 75,000 word book to the 600 word um, online, online story. So yeah, probably, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not sure. Just working it out. Sounds like a plan. Okay, we're going to finish up today with the, the thing that we ask all of our um, – what am I talking to? All of the people that we interview on this podcast are doing very well here, don't you think? Um, and that is for your three top tips for writers. 
Oh, good one. Just um, well, I think one, yeah, is um, definitely find be clear on your voice, um, and it takes a little time. Don't think it's going to just happen. I mean, it, you know, I've worked in this space for 20 years and it probably took me at least a good five to 10 years. I know that sounds like a lot to really hone, hone that. Mm. Um, I mean, all aspiring writers probably do this anyway, but just read. Like yeah. I, I just, the more you can read um, and, and read people in the space that you want to be in. Um, you know, what sort of books inspire you, what you do, what you don't like. I mean, I'm sure people do this already you know, do this already, but it's actually was a great, I was probably, when I was writing this book, I just realised who the writers um, are that I actually love, you know, mm. more than I, I mean, I kind of knew who I loved, but I just really, you know, I love people like Elizabeth Gilbert and, you know, and I thought, okay, well, I love her and that's the kind of style of writing that I love. So how can I, not emulate it, I suppose, how can it inspire me to develop my tone and my style and, yeah. And um, so that would be my tip two. And tip three is don't write a book in three months with three small kids. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's possibly the best no, one no, we've really. ever had. <laughs> oh, I, I would concur. No, my three would be like, three would be like don't give up. I mean, I, it, I don't want to, it took, you know, like I have, I probably first, met with Andrea who I've been working with on his book like two years ago so it's not something that just it sounds like it happened really fast when I got the deal with Alan Unwin it did but in terms of developing the idea and what I wanted to write about it and whether it would turn into a book has been a long time like years mm. so I think just it's not going to happen overnight these things you just have to keep chipping away and and you know I did have one idea 18 months ago and you know wrote something up about it you know a 10-page document and then Andrew said, no, I don't think so. So I'm like, okay, okay, that's okay. We'll, we'll go on to the next idea. So don't give up. Just keep on persevering. Fantastic. All right, well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been so good to chat to you. Uh, Balance and Other BS is like out now in a bookshop near you. Is there a felicityharley.com that people can come and visit to see more of your work or find out more about you? There is, but it's still in the process of being made. So best probably just to jump on social media. <laughs> that, <laughs> Where that can we find you in then? Three months. I wanted it to, but, um, and social media. So at Felicity Harley on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Okay, terrific. All right, well, thank you so much for your time and best of luck with all the promo. And I would think that you should never write a book in three months with three small children ever again either. <laughs> thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you want to be a freelance writer, our five-week course in Freelance Writing Stage 1 is the fastest way to get there. Step-by-step, step, you'll explore how to get story ideas, approach editors, research and structure your article, plus interview skills, industry expectations and much more. You'll enjoy the convenience of learning online in just a couple of hours a week and have your own tutor to answer all your questions. Find out more at writercentre.com.au slash freelance. There you go, Felicity Harley. It's great to be able to support all of the, these debut authors. 
Yeah, it's been a really interesting journey, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because, because we've spoken some... to a lot of, you know, some that have had a profile, some that have had not had a profile, some that are moving through having a profile. Like it's, it's actually been quite an interesting experience, I think, of just, you know, the various ways that people have come to their debut book. Mm. Well, hopefully people mm. will be back into their book, their physical book launches soon and um, we'll actually yeah. be able to go and see them in real life. All right. So in the yeah. coming week, Al, what are you up to? Oh, I'm not too sure, to be honest. I, I'm really, I'm, I'm at that point where I've lost track of what day it is. So I'm never quite sure what I'll be doing next week. So, um, I'll, you know, I've, I'm hoping that I might actually get some more words written. I'm, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. There you go. Okay. I'm Fair aiming enough. for okay. What about you? What are you doing? Anything exciting? Well, putting the finishing touches on this course of creative writing, um, you know, for teenagers. Yep. So our Teenage Creative Writers Program for budding authors, which has been created by the uh, wonderful Pamela Freeman. And it's just awesome. I'm going through it thinking, I wish, I just wish I had something like this when I was at school. I really do. Um, yeah. But anyway, that would yes, be cool. so that's very exciting. Uh, where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Altait, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where will we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram. That's K-H-O-O over at ValerieKoo.com as well. And, of course, you'll find all of the show notes at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.